Daniel chapter 2, verses 17 through 30. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed in Daniel to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So this morning, joined by our very own Greg Conley, George's favorite state attorney. And a fun fact that I just discovered, a man who himself has novelized a.k.a. written a novel surrounding or, you know, reinterpreting the book of Daniel. So, you know, a true scholar in his own right <laughs> on the book of Daniel, which, uh, you know, I've heard people, people will come into ODR and be like, oh, I love this book. But no one has ever said, I've novelized this book. So new heights today, new heights. And um, I, I am eager to get my eyes on that book when we're done with this on ODR. But so we're we're continuing through, um, through the book of Daniel. You know, I, I an interesting thing that we haven't mentioned is that the first chapter of Daniel is written in Hebrew, and I think the last couple chapters are written in Hebrew. But this whole middle section, I think two through eight, two through nine, we'll confirm tomorrow, uh, is written in Aramaic. So you know, there there's this interesting section which Aramaic is kind of like this. Uh, this adaptation of Hebrew in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically the, the author of the book of Daniel has clearly uh, designated this middle portion as its own kind of the- thematic zone. And we're continuing on, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and yesterday's reading the beginning of this chapter, he's had this very, very disturbing dream and he gets all these wise men together and he wants an interpretation of the dream, but he doesn't just want an interpretation. He's not going to tell them what the dream is. So they have to guess what the dream is 
and then interpret it. And if they don't, then he's going to kill the entire class of wise men, which of course includes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, so high stakes today, Greg. <laughs> um, welcome to a very high stakes, tense moment in the book of Daniel. And we see, uh, you know, this is really the second, uh, you know, influential moment where Daniel kind of speaks up. The first being uh, the king's, you know, declining the king's food. Mm-hmm. And so here Daniel enters in um, and intercedes on behalf of all the wise men of Babylon, uh, which I think is interesting to note that um, he's he's really saving many, many pagan evil mm-hmm. men through yeah. this. So what are your thoughts, Greg, on uh, what's happening today? I mean, I think um, it's, I think a couple things about Daniel like stick out to me here. The one is like the, the saving of like so many pagans, yeah. you know, that you kind of brought up. Like, I think it's interesting that Daniel is a man who is um, living in and actually working for the man who has destroyed his homeland. Mm. You know, Nebuchadnezzar is by all intents and purposes, the man who's, you know, he's going to sack Jerusalem. Wow. He's going to carry the people off into, into, um, uh, exile, right? And totally. Daniel is working for him, and all these astrologers and wise men and guys around him are um, are guys who would have presumably supported this decision making on the part of Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel, in this, when he, when he when he comes forward, he doesn't seek to one take any credit for himself. He doesn't mm-hmm. say, "I can interpret this dream for you," and seek to gain anything for himself or his friends. He also doesn't seek to separate himself off from the other wise men. And be like, well, these guys over here deserve to die, but we, because we work for the God of heaven, uh, uh, deserve to live. Instead, mm-hmm. he simply comes forward and says, he he gives the message that gods give to him, and he sort of takes himself out of this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's incredible, uh, incredible to see from a man in such a vulnerable position. Um, that instead of seeking any gain, instead of seeking to do anything funny, he, he seeks God's face. Mm-hmm. He thanks God for yeah. delivering him. And then he goes and delivers the message that God gave him without without changing it, without seeking anything for himself. And I think it's super instructive for us today when I think that there is a tendency, even if you are involved in the things of God, to sort of seek like maybe maybe is there a way you can elevate yourself or seek something for yourself. In Daniel, in the most vulnerable position where you might not even blame a guy for like, you know, trying to trying to save his own skin, completely puts himself in God's hands and uh delivers to Nebuchadnezzar the message he's supposed to be given with no thought as to as to his safety. And I just think that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Just sort of the bedrock of, of Daniel's life is his reliance on God. I just think it's amazing a lesson for us. Absolutely. You know, you see such a clear confidence in the character and the wisdom and in the reality of God. Mm-hmm. I love in, in 21, he says, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. And, you know, that the whole idea in the new Testament that we get of like honor the emperor and, and, you know, honor your governing authorities, Mm -hmm. uh, of course, speaking to like Roman officials who are wicked, wicked men that traces back to here, you know, Daniel saying that Nebuchadnezzar who has sacked Jerusalem and, and raided and pillaged the temple, the very dwelling place of God, that God actually set him up Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's safe to say there's also Daniel has an understanding that 
Um, he, he likely understands that Israel is under just judgment mm -hmm. for sinning against God. And, you know, I think that this perspective is really important. The, uh, I would highly commend the Bible project sort of like overview video of Daniel, um, as we read this to anyone studying along with us. But I was watching that this morning, um, as a little refresher and, uh, one of the phrases that Tim Mackey uses as a general theme of the book is that they're, they're basically keeping, it's a book about these men keeping hope alive mm -hmm. while living in the enemy's land. And I thought that that was so such a eloquent way of putting it and how it applies to us. And that is a central part of keeping hope alive while, you know, on this side of heaven is this perspective that God is in control that the powers that be around us, even as evil as they may be, or as godless as they may be, God is still in control over them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he goes into Nebuchadnezzar's court and, you know, he, he straight up kind of discounts all the wise men, the enchanters, the magicians, the astro astrologers, says, but there's a God in heaven mm -hmm. who can show you the dream. And I think that that really is instructive to us of, you know, going into the public sphere and with the truth about God and the truth about the world through God's eyes and not in this like hyper defensive, hyper angry way, but also not in a sheepish way because we can hold up the truth about God to, you know, any, you know, atheistic or secular or agnostic mm -hmm. or mystic philosophy and the the scriptures and the truth about God can hold true and yeah. they will hold true and so we can have the same sort of boldness and clarity so do you have any other thoughts on this passage yeah you know when you talk about boldness and clarity and truth it reminds me of two things I had a, um, a professor in, in college her name was Esther Meek um, and her specialty was in epistemology. And we were talking about like knowing the truth. And she said, all truth proceeds from God. So all truth is God's truth. You should never be afraid of it. Mm -hmm. So you should never be afraid to speak the truth. You should never be afraid that the truth is not on God's side because truth is God's. Mm. And the second thing it makes me think of is it, it makes me think of Jesus. Um, the fact that in every case, you know, especially when you see Jesus on trial, uh, you see him. Um, you know, before Herod, you see him um, before the, you know, the Sanhedrin and he never, he's never defensive, right? He's never argumentative because he completely trusts God in that moment mm -hmm. for whatever God has for him will be the best, mm -hmm. right? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what's going to happen. He knows the father has his best interest in mind. And so he just speaks the truth plainly. And Absolutely. I think like Daniel does that same thing and we can do the same thing. Like the, the author of heaven and earth, like the creator of all things, right? Mm -hmm. Loves you and knows what's best for you. And so in that public sphere, when you're speaking, you can simply trust in the words of God and not worry about what's going to happen because mm -hmm. God has what, what's best in store for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to kind of filibuster while I pull up a passage <laughs> that uh, we were actually um, preaching on at Young Adults or Thomas was preaching on at Young Adults a few weeks ago. And this is Matthew 11, 
this very uh, famous passage because I think it's uh, it's good to end with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's it's the most important thing we can do is find Jesus in Mm -hmm. these ancient scriptures. And, you know, very famous passage, come to me, all who weary and heavy living, I will give you rest. Um, You know, it's this gentle and lowly and heart passage. But before this, Jesus, he he pronounces woe on all these cities where he's done the majority of his miracles. And, you know, he he says if if these works had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, Tyre and Sidon, then they would have repented, but you've not. And so Mm -hmm. you will bear more judgment. And then there's this verse tucked in between verse 25 of Matthew 11 that I think is so thought provoking. And Jesus stops after pronouncing woe on these unrepentant cities and before this gentle and lowly kind of famous passage that we've all seen at Hobby Lobby and in the book Gentle and Lowly (laughs) and it's an amazing passage. But verse 25, it says, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding Mm -hmm. and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Mm. And that is what we see here at the end, uh, you know, in verse 29 and 30. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not speaking of the dream, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known, made known to the king. In other words, he, you know, he's saying, this is not that I'm wiser than all the wise men but it's according to that the will of God might be carried out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think even as we as Christians seek wisdom in God and seek the wisdom of the spirit, this is the posture that we need is yeah. that, you know, if we, if we become infatuated with our own wisdom, then we will become like Nebuchadnezzar's wise men and be completely impotent in being able to, you know, speak to any actual um, wisdom that carries out the will of God. But, If we remain in that posture of a little child, as Jesus says in Matthew 11, then the kingdom of God will be revealed to us. Amen. So for Greg Conley, the great novelist himself, (laughs) this is Will Carlisle. And we look forward to seeing you tomorrow in the sunny pastures of Daniel on our Daily Rhythm. Thanks for listening to Our Daily Rhythm. I'm Jason Dees, one of the pastors of Christ's Covenant, and Our Daily Rhythm is a ministry of our church designed to help you more faithfully and effectively meditate on God's Word. If you ever have a question for us about one of our Bible readings or one of your own Bible readings, please don't hesitate to text us at 404-465-1737. Again, that's 404-465-1737. Or email me directly at jason at christcovenant.com. We'll meet you again tomorrow for Our Daily Rhythm.